Greetings everyone, this is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. Chointcast 10 introduces Dr. Amy Cooper Hakeem, an industrial organizational psychology practitioner and workplace expert. She is a speaker, author, and the executive consultant and founder of the Cooper Strategic Group. She helps employees and employers to get along better and coaches leaders and employees to improve productivity, morale, satisfaction, and overall work-life balance. Her book, Working with Difficult People, recently hit number one in sales at Amazon for business etiquette books and was highlighted in Parade Magazine. Dr. Hakeem has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, NBC, Fast Company, CNBC Make It, Vogue, Inc., The List, and Star Telegram. She has also been a guest on the KRTH Morning Show, Think KERA Radio, the WBEZ Morning Shift, the Boca Voice, and the Business Radio on Sirius XM. Welcome to the Chointcast. I'm really excited. We have a very, very fun topic with your book. Um, uh, welcome, welcome to our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Cooper has written a book all of us have wanted to probably write, but more importantly read, and it's called Working with Difficult People. That's it. Working with Difficult People, also subtitled Handling the Ten Types of Problem People Without Losing Your Mind. I think all of us probably wanted to have this book quite some time ago. Anyway, <laughs> to, to, start, to start, Amy, you dedicated working with difficult people to your grandmother, Muriel Solomon, who's also listed as your co-author. There's a story behind that I think we'd like to hear. Definitely. So my grandmother, Muriel Solomon, was a mentor of mine. She passed away many years ago, but I very dearly remember our conversations, and we met almost weekly, uh, and she actually wrote the first edition of Working with Difficult People over 25 years ago, and she's the person who encouraged me to become an industrial organizational psychology practitioner, uh, a workplace expert, and she encouraged me to follow my passion that way, and when I found out that her book was still selling, uh, but was was outdated since it was written before the age of telecommuting and work-life balance issues and before narcissism and passive aggressiveness were <laughs> buzzwords, I approached the publisher and asked if I might revise and modernize the book that she wrote. And I was so grateful when they said yes, because I was able to truly add to her legacy. Um, and, and it was a very meaningful time for me when I was reading her words and, um, and revising and modernizing them. And it was almost as if she was sitting right next to me. Very special. What an homage. That's fantastic. So, a Amy, how do we find you? How do people find you uh, on the web, Twitter, social media? Sure. So my handle is Amy Cooper Hakeem, and I am on LinkedIn, Twitter. I just started Instagram, <laughs> uh, but I also have a Facebook page. My website is also amycooperhakeem.com. Fantastic. Now, you're a Ph.D. and an expert, and you actually just brought this up a moment ago. With all this expertise, how do you approach work-life balance? So maintaining a healthy work-life balance is actually a constant challenge and goal that I set for myself. I really enjoy the work that I do, but I remind myself regularly that work is not my life. I really strive to make sure to spend each day with the people 
who bring me joy and happiness and doing the things that bring me that joy and happiness. And one thing that I have challenged myself (laughs) with for 2018 is actually to get more sleep. I find sometimes that in an effort to really keep that balance, I accept every coffee date. I accept every lunch date. I try to be everywhere and do everything that brings me joy so as to make sure that I'm not missing out on things due to work. And I find sometimes that I put myself in a position where I don't get the need sleep that I need in order to function effectively. And so I bought a Fitbit last year and monitored how much I slept every night. And on average, I got seven hours of sleep for 2017, which is pretty good. But I actually need a lot more. And so I am aiming for eight hours of sleep a night on average for 2018. I'm not there yet, but I am up to seven hours and 20 minutes. (laughs) I may have to call you up because I also have a Fitbit for other reasons, but, um, and I'm usually not close to that. Uh, although a nap, although a nap helps, helps bring the number up. So let's turn to your book, working with difficult people. Sure. I found later in the book, you have a terrific listening and responses checklist on pages 285 to 287. What advice do you have for the average manager or boss who would like to simply start becoming a better listener? Well, I think there's a difference between listening and hearing. We need to engage in active listening. When someone's talking, we shouldn't be thinking about the response that we have. Rather, we need to focus on hearing their words and their message and making sure that we understand the message that they're hoping to share with Mm -hmm. us. Sometimes the way that we speak isn't received the way we hope it is, and that works when someone is speaking to us or when we are listening to their message. So we need to make sure that we truly get what they are saying and sometimes even asking a follow-up question to make sure that we understand their question can be very, very helpful. It also shows respect to the person that we are listening to and shows them that we truly are engaged in that dialogue. I like that approach. In our leadership classes, we often bring up uh, the question when when listening to others, we will ask, are you listening or waiting to speak? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of hands will reluctantly go up. And I, I like the way you brought that up, especially uh, the term respect. Now, there's, there's a lot of chapters in your book. There's 30 for the, the 30 different types of difficult people, um, 10 different types, and then addressing whether they're the boss, the peer, or the subordinate. And many of your chapter strategies encourage shared experiences. So I'm curious, do you yourself have something like a written leadership philosophy or statement or equivalent that you share with colleagues and clients? I don't have anything written per se, but something that I feel resonates with my clients and also with those whom I speak when I am in a public speaking uh, environment is to actually discuss what it means to be a leader as compared to a manager. Many managers think that they are leaders, but unfortunately their followers don't often feel the same way. So I like to tell people to remember that managers direct while leaders inspire. And most of us want to be seen as a leader. We want to be seen as someone who inspires others. And doing so, we are, while we might also manage and direct, we need to take the steps to truly inspire. That might mean that we help people to achieve something that they don't think they could do on their own. 
we might um, empower them and give them the opportunity to branch out and do more than they thought they could ever do. And I think that if we have that goal, then it ends up that the people we work with are truly helping one another and working together to accomplish more than they might on their own. It's really interesting how the term leadership gets gets thrown about. One of one of the ways I find myself framing it is that leadership is not a noun. Often <laughs> of, often we'll hear, well, we'll bring it up with leadership and then we'll see what leadership does. And I'm thinking of leadership almost as something like a table when I'm hearing it <laughs> like that. And it's 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 an active process. So that's very, very fun. Now, especially given, given your professional background, Amy, do you recommend or use personality assessments with your clients so that they can understand how other people are wired differently or can better communicate? I do use personality assessments as needed. I don't think that they're always required specifically to determine how to best communicate with someone. We need to simply understand what makes someone else tick so that we can get what we want and need from that relationship. If someone needs more attention or less, we need to recognize that. If someone needs to speak, we needs us to speak slowly or to speak more elaborately, we need to understand that. So asking the questions, you know, what can I do to most effectively work with you? Or what do you need from me in order to be most productive? Asking some of those questions can help us to better understand the people we're working with. And I was curious about that because our, our own academy leadership group that, that I'm part of there's one that we happen to use, and it's um, it's a very fun self-evaluation leading to a very fun workshop. Let's dive in, let's dive into your book, working with difficult yeah. people. And what I what I did in my review is I focused on what I called some of my favorites, or maybe the ones that painfully jumped at me. And uh, <laughs> so let's 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 start with that and see how it goes. And, sure. and I I picked I picked the cyberbully here first because. It's, it's so self-explanatory, but how do you define a cyberbully, and is this a growing group? So I define a cyberbully as someone who would attack you through any type of electronic means, like emails, texts, tweets, or social media. And unfortunately, this is a growing group. Uh, on our own, we need to be responsible with our own personal behavior on social media. Uh, I think that sometimes people are too free to write something that they might regret later. Uh, but we also need to stand up for any inappropriate behavior and uh, not hesitate if needed to block that individual or to contact appropriate authorities to make behavior stop. And do you find with your with your clients uh, cyber, the, the cyberbully archetype, if you will, coming up a lot? I don't find it coming up as often uh, in my consults, but I do hear of it, you know, in the news and I see it. Um, I see it in the online world that we live. <laughs> and I, I, I've actually personally had to block certain individuals um, who might have spoken inappropriately or, or acted in such a way that um, made me feel uncomfortable. Um, thankfully, I've not been one, you know, to have a cyberbully attack, but I, I have young children um, and they tell me stories of things that happened to their peers or that they've heard of. Um, and I've definitely heard through the grapevine of, of a number of unfortunate situations. When, when our daughter in particular was in grades, I would even say 
as early as sixth grade, but especially going into the middle school years and the beginning of high school, mm -hmm. um, fasten your seatbelt. It's um, it's something else. So I'm, I'm I'm glad you addressed that one. You had a a very strong response, Amy, for dealing with saboteurs, especially uh, subordinates. Uh, how urgent is it that we deal with saboteurs right away? And what are the consequences if we don't? So that's a great question. You know, saboteurs are those individuals in the office, um, in this case, since we're dealing with working with difficult people, who are, you know, really so upset that they end up resorting to inflicting some type of damage on you or on property or on others. And they're rather destructive and even sneaky. And so as a boss, if you have tried all of the polite ways and the common sense ways to handle an individual and he or she is exhibiting these types of behavior, it's really important to get rid of them, to fire them um, right away. But to do so in a, a calm and an orderly manner, I encourage people to take emotion out of workplace situations whenever possible. And that sometimes seems counterintuitive because we get so upset or angered by the behavior of individuals who are difficult. Uh, but when we are able to lead by example, remain calm, orderly in our approach, um, someone like this, for instance, we might say, you know, this type of behavior is not acceptable in our office. And I'm going to give you the chance to resign instead of being fired. And so speaking like that to someone might allow that individual to say, oh, OK, well, I'm out of here. Let me resign instead of having that fire on my on my vita. Um, and so then we are able to get them to exit. Um, if we don't do so, then it could be that, that that one particular individual can cause a lot of negative behavior um, and instances within the office setting, um, such that others could be hurt or offended or customers might be impacted, uh, actual work product could be impacted. So once you see this, it's important to, to terminate effectively and quickly according to the protocol within your organization. There's a, a book I'm actually reviewing right now. It has a very similar, a very similar approach, Amy. And and what I what I think is really worth stressing is what you were saying towards the end is there's a there's an effect on the rest of the organization when we don't do that as a leader, and and it's it's reflecting us. Everyone else knows usually. So I like the way that you you suggest we do that swiftly. My strongest reaction, probably to all of them, was the imposing peer personality. <laughs> what advice do you have for those of us who have difficulty saying no, which might include you, given what you just said, <laughs> uh, but difficulty saying no to, to all these different requests? Well, so imposers, uh, you know, take an unfair advantage of our time or our talent or even our good nature. And you're correct. Uh, I definitely fall into this group sometimes because not as the imposer, but as the one who might be imposed upon, uh, because I, like many of us, want to be perceived as someone who's nice and caring. Uh, but we need to uh, recognize that we can still be seen as someone who is nice and caring without being taken advantage of. So we, we need to free ourselves from doing something that we don't want or need to do, uh, especially if it's making us feel uncomfortable or like we are put out. Um, treating ourselves with as much respect as we give others is the first thing that I recommend. Um, you know, if somebody is truly taking advantage, be direct and honest 
Uh, but look at your imposing colleague square in the eyes and, and say something like, you know, hey, I'm slammed today, Susie. Uh, if this is related to work, I've got a few minutes. Otherwise, I need to get back. You know, be able to say, sorry, I can't be of help and practice saying that um, by yourself. <laughs> Video record it, you know, uh, look yourself in the mirror and, and know that that's your going, how you're going to react or respond if needed. Um, I, I think that a great tactic, especially if you're in an office setting and someone comes in and, and wants to, you know, uh, grab your ear and you're in the middle of, of working on a deadline, you know, you can actually stand up, physically stand up from your desk uh, when the person walks in. And just think about if you're at a, a dinner party and the host stands up, what does that mean? Dinner's over. <laughs> and so somebody comes into your office, if you just make the physical movement of standing up and say, you know, hey, uh, is this about work? If so, I've got a couple of minutes. Otherwise, I'm slammed right now. You know, walk to the water cooler, take a break. And even if that person walks with you, um, you're able to look at your phone, uh, say, you know, or your, your watch and say, sorry, I got to get back to the, to the desk now. And then and then excuse yourself. And if you break eye contact, you're able to uh, then get back to the important stuff. And it's it's necessary to not um, discourage yourself from being who you are. If you're kind and nice and want to help out and you can and you have the time, do so. But make sure that you set the necessary boundaries so that you can say, I can help, but not now. I can help, but not today. I really like the idea of physically breaking up or interrupting the imposition. That's a, a neat tip, the, the, sta mm -hmm. the standing one. I think I'm, I think I'm going to be using that one in coaching sessions. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of coaching sessions, Amy, the, the brush-off or egotistical boss comes up with alarming regularity. How do you recommend we begin to deal with someone like that? You know, brush-offs are, those type of individuals are all over the office setting and um, egotistical bosses are, are those who will, you know, quickly dismiss you um, or look down at their phone or respond to a text while you're talking to them, answer a phone while you're in their office. Um, they're not available to answer your questions or give you information that you need, and they don't necessarily delegate well. They just think they're better than everyone else, and uh, it puts those who they're managing in a, a real difficult position. And notice I said manage, <laughs> not lead. Um, but the key here is to help your boss to look good while still serving your own needs. And this is actually a skill that I think we can all acquire with some practice. Because at the end of the day, egotistical bosses are truly worried about the perception that their supervisors and colleagues have about their own degree of professionalism and capability. So if you give them an idea that they can claim as their own, then they'll come out looking as if they are the winner, the bright one, and you'll get what you want and need. So let's say that your boss is not listening to you or responding to a request that you have and you need something to be done in order to make your job or workday easier. Mm -hmm. Then you could even say something like, hey, by the way, I thought about this when you were discussing X, Y, and Z the other day at the meeting. And then that will all of a sudden spark the um, egotistical boss's ear because he or she wants to be recognized and known and, hey, you heard something he said in the meeting. And so then you're able to finesse that message so that the boss can then take it as his own and run with it. I like the idea especially of of making sure that uh, you know the what, what the boss's perception is, I, I like that one quite a bit. Another coaching challenge, maybe we could say on the other end now, Amy, especially for someone in a new supervisory role, 
is the procrastinating subordinate. That one's particularly common in some of my recent coaching sessions. Why does this happen so often? Well, I think that not everyone shares the same values that we do. And some people are just working to get by. Um, some people may resent uh, your authority. Some people may just prefer to surf the web or <laughs> respond to Facebook or Snapchat than uh, get their work done. And so there are a lot of different issues based on uh, generational gaps and just priorities that really can impact um, you know, employer-subordinate relationships. And so the best way to handle this is to apply the what's in it for me principle. You know, explain to that procrastinating subordinate what's in it for him or her and for them to get their work done. If they get their work done, they go home on time. If they get their work done, the project gets done. If they get their work done, the, um, you know, the whole team is able to then move forward. And set specific standards and boundaries and then hold that individual accountable to meeting those specific requirements. Expectations sounds like it was a big theme of what you were just saying in the answer. Maybe just getting some better expectations at, at, at the start. But also getting them to buy into it. They have to understand that if they don't behave that way, if they don't do what is expected of them, then there will be a consequence. Fantastic. Now, here's where there's only a couple more questions, but um, many of us are likely guilty of being the difficult people that you're describing in your book. So what's the best way for us to avoid being the difficult person, maybe being referenced in another podcast somewhere? <laughs> well, first off, I uh, since this book came out in late 2016, I have really found um, a lot of pleasure in speaking to those who've come forward and said, hey, by the way, I read your book and I'm the difficult person, <laughs> because I think that that takes a lot of courage and a lot of self-awareness. You know, we all need to recognize our own strengths and our areas of opportunity. And if you see yourself behaving in a difficult manner, um, or you note that perhaps you're not getting the reaction or response that you hope from someone <laughs> you're interacting with, then take steps to do things differently the next time. Ask for constructive feedback. Take it to heart. My dad used to always tell me that we can either learn to fail or fail to learn. And I think it's important that we all focus on learning from failures, learning from difficulties, so that we can move forward and do better the next time. So, Amy, what are, what are some of your favorites if, uh, of the 30 in this book? Are there, are there any that you've encountered with, with uh, disproportionate frequency? <laughs> well, one of the, one of the uh, people that I added in, one of the characters, is the narcissistic boss. I think that narcissism as a term is overused. Uh, but I will tell you that I get asked about narcissistic bosses at almost every single consult. <laughs> and and in many of my speaking <laughs> adventures, that's a question that comes up. Because I think that um, that people don't enjoy dealing with individuals like that. And a lot of times I get asked, how do you deal with someone like a narcissistic boss? And, you know, I think that in reality, someone who has that tendency is likely someone who was a narcissistic colleague and also a narcissistic subordinate and most likely a narcissistic friend and perhaps even a narcissistic child. So we have to uh, take 
note of the tendencies of various individuals, regardless of their label, and recognize the strengths of those particular character traits, and also learn how we can best get what we want and need from those individuals. And I think by taking the emotion out, regardless of the type of person we're interacting with, if we're actually able to look at it from a pragmatic standpoint, if possible, and say, what is it that this individual is doing? Why is it bothering me? And how is that action impacting me? And what may I do to make that relationship better, stronger, or more effective? And if we're able to do so, we can even perhaps deal with someone who is as difficult as that favorite word that people throw out all the time. So after you've given this advice, Amy, what kind of responses are you hearing success stories after after your sessions where, where you give this advice? It is, it's really rewarding to hear that people are able to take and apply um, these suggestions. One tactic that I have throughout the book, um, I not only explain the various types of characters, but also give scenarios and then actual language that can be used practical ways to specifically address the situation. So uh, people have, have responded favorably there, saying that they're able to actually take and tweak some of that language itself uh, and apply it. So I, I'm real grateful for that. So glad you brought that up. One of the ways I thought about this book was to to capture the general things that we can do, and that's why I brought out the listening and responses checklist. But after that, this is a great this is a great book for coaching to hand to somebody because I could see after a while where there's going to be little sticky tabs and maybe two or three of them on the narcissist, narcissistic boss section <laughs> to where you can go through because you're right there's there's actual scripts there in in, in plain language that that can be used and I think it's a, a wonderful lifetime reference book because of that and again working with difficult people so looking ahead Amy what projects are you working on now you can share with our audience well, I actually have my uh, manuscript drafted for my next book, which is about work-life balance. Um, as we started off our, our chat today, that's something that's a true passion of mine. I have three kids, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and a lovely husband. And we all try our best to really focus on family and um, on spending that quality time together. And I think it's a, a true challenge, regardless of where we are in the life cycle, to, to have that work-life balance and recognizing that uh, balance means something different for each of us is something that's so important. So I um, have drafted another book that's similar in the layout to this Working with Difficult People book, but instead dealing with uh, different types of work-life balance issues and scenarios and, and how to best gain that depending on where we are in life. And in addition to that book, I've also been uh, branching out on my uh, public speaking I'm headed to San Jose next week to speak at the Watermark Conference for Women, and I have been engaged in, in a number of other public speaking ventures, and I'm really enjoying um, time, whether it be with a small group um, or larger group. Well, that sounds wonderful. Everyone, look up Dr. Amy Cooper-Hakim, working with difficult people, and uh, in the near-distant future, work-life balance. It's, it's been a wonderful having you on the joint cast, and... I look forward to, to reading your next works. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the Jointcast, a positive review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E. 
and visit www.choink.com to sign up for an upcoming Leadership Excellence course and to support one of our worthy causes, such as Autism Speaks Walk.